so hello and welcome everyone my name is Shanka Ponsole and I run with Andrea who is in the audience I run a healthcare marketing and PR agency out of San Antonio and today we have an amazing guest here with us Dr. Clint Flanagan and what I know about him is that Andrea cannot talk cannot stop talking about him uh, he is very visible online. He is uh, one of the few medical professionals who really understand digital strategy, and that makes him very, very interesting for us. However, he did let me know that it's going to be his first audio live event in this format. So that makes us very proud, and we're also very honored that he does that for the first time with us. This event is going to be recorded. In order to get it, um, please uh, make sure you message me recording if you want to have that. And uh, also another thing that's very important is to put, if you're on a mobile phone, uh, put your phones in the do not disturb mode because uh, if you have an incoming call that could interrupt our beautiful talk. The way we're going to have the panel today is we will let everyone on the panel talk one after another. And then if you have questions, uh, keep those until the end. We will give you the opportunity to come and join us on stage and ask your questions to the panelists. That is absolutely not a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce our special guest today, Dr. Clint Flanagan, founder and CEO of Nextera Healthcare and North Vista Medical Center. With over 20 years of experience in the healthcare industry and a passion for advancing patient-centered care, Dr. Flanagan is a leading voice in the movement towards direct primary care. Through his innovative approach, he has established a network of over 100 clinics across multiple states, delivering affordable and accessible healthcare to families and businesses. Dr. Flanagan is a board-certified family physician, an active practitioner, and has been recognized as one of the top value-based care thinkers in 2022. Today, he will be joining us to discuss how his approach to healthcare is helping to advance the industry through patient-centered care. Dr. Flanagan, the virtual floor is yours. Thank you so much for that intro. I really appreciate it. And before we get going too far, I just want to make sure, can you hear me okay? Very loud and clear. Great. Uh, so uh, I'm coming you today to, to you today from uh, uh, sunny and cool Colorado uh, here in the Denver metro area. I'm actually uh, on site at one of the employer groups that we take care of and saw patients this morning and, and carving out some time for this chat. So really appreciate the opportunity and, and uh, hope that, uh, that it can be informative for everyone. Uh, and I think it's quite an open format where you can post questions or raise a hand and uh, have questions come out. So, uh, yeah, maybe just uh, to talk a bit about um, our journey at Nextera Healthcare and kind of how we got here. And and uh, and to your point, Shankar, this this whole journey was around what can we do to help our patients. But the second piece of that is what can we do as physicians, clinicians, uh, to to be in a model that we um, feel that is you know robust and efficient and and actually can allow us to practice as independent clinicians. Uh, and, and those that were early pioneers in the direct primary care movement, uh, I think about all of us had experiences as fee-for-service insurance-based physicians. And those experiences are what led us to saying, gosh, we need to have a new model, a different model, because that existing model just there are too many barriers for patients, too many barriers for, for physicians that get in the way of care. Uh, and understanding that uh, direct primary care was, uh, uh, or let's just say came to be uh, because physicians said, gosh, we need to do something different. And rather than charge per visit or um, 
have a circumstance where every time a patient connects, there's a, there's a bill. Uh, we said, gosh, let's just do it pretty simple. Let's charge a simple, affordable monthly membership fee and take care of people. So that was the idea. And for us, that idea was back in 2009. We had had years of experience seeing 25 to 35 patients a day in the traditional fee-for-service world. And then a little background on me, I also um, had done emergency medicine for about 15 years. So it had uh, medical experiences dealing with patients in the emergency setting. And, and we wanted to make things easy uh, for patients. And part of that making it easy is removing the financial barrier. Uh, so that was kind of the idea back in 2009. And uh, fast forward to today, direct primary care is, uh, is actually a term that, that just about at least all primary care physicians know. And it's great to see that many benefits advisors are aware of this term, as well as employer groups and communities and government. Uh, and, uh, and it's fun to see, let's say, the evolution of uh, the direct primary care movement. Uh, there are many physicians that prefer to own their own practice versus be employed. Uh, and DBC is a model that allows for that coming even out of residency. There's awesome success stories like Dr. Paul Thomas uh, and Dr. Kenneth in Virginia that have come out of residency training to open up their own DBC practices. So there's a there's a piece that's core, or there's there's a part of direct primary care that's just uh, foundational to patient-centered care, and that is access. Uh, it's it's really important that that patients, family members, individuals uh, have access to their primary care physician or, or clinician. And in today's world, in the United States of America, you would think that all of us would have that, but unfortunately, most people don't. And what, what we mean by access is, you know, if you have something, let's say, urgent that comes up today, like a sore throat or rash, you should be able to call and get in face-to-face -to, -face to see your physician or potentially handle that virtually. Uh, if you have concerns about your diabetes or high blood pressure, you should be able to set up routine visits and not have to wait two to three months to get in to see your doctor. Um, as much as we wish here in 2023 that that would be the case, that most Americans would have that kind of access, it's just not the case. Uh, and, and many Americans have uh, these fee-for-service insurance cards. Um, and unfortunately, for example, here in the Denver metro area, uh, it can take a month to two months to establish with a primary care clinician and same-day appointments are not available. And those insurance-based clinics typically don't have robust urgent care virtual platforms or ability to even see the patient face-to-face -face, uh, you know, on the same day for something that's urgent, like let's say a sore throat, a lacerated finger, uh, sprained ankle, et cetera. So what happens is patients, they really don't have a relationship with a primary care provider, and it's really hard to have patient-centered care because they're maybe only seeing their doctor once or twice a year. One of the other challenges there that uh, are barriers is more than 50% of patients in America or people uh, have high deductible plans and those deductible plans cover maybe one or two visits a year and then patients are out of pocket for every visit thereafter. So let's say a person comes in, sees the doctor, they're in their 30s, uh, they have obesity, uh, we diagnose them with some prediabetes, they're having challenges with snoring, there's concerns for sleep apnea, uh, and then maybe they have some depression challenges. Uh, so they're seeing the doctor for the first time and they want to have their preventative visit. Uh, that preventative visit kind of in the insurance-based world pigeonholes the doctor into just talking about uh, some screening things. And if they start to get into, let's say, uh, medical concerns like depression or obesity, et cetera, that goes beyond that preventative visit. The patient might actually get a bill for that. It sounds kind of unusual, but it, again, it's a system that wasn't set up by, by physicians. Uh, and so we're kind of pigeonholed to try to fit these things in and bills can show up and it's pretty challenging. Uh, if we then think of that, gosh, we want to have this patient back and see them uh, within a month or so to follow up on their diabetes or potentially sleep apnea or follow up on their mood concerns. And now the patient's out of pocket for that visit, and that could be a $200 to $300 visit. So that's more than half of Americans that are walking around with cards that um, have deductibles on them. In some states like Maine, I think that percentage is over 70%. Nebraska, where I'm originally from, I think that 
percentages. 67% of Nebraskans have a high deductible plan. So again, those plans are barriers to primary care access, and it's really, really challenging to have patient-centered care, especially if those patients are only getting maybe one to two visits per year with their physician. So you contrast that with direct primary care, patients have unlimited visits. And what happens there is every, we call it a touch, where every time we have engagement with a patient, whether it's face-to-face, -face, whether it's through virtual technology like text, email, video chat, every touch leads to strengthening of the relationship, and that leads to hopefully trust, right? I mean, that's what we're really trying to establish, is, is by giving patients this level of access, we want there to be trust, and we want there to be um, a strong relationship, and truthfully, there's nothing innovative at all about that in primary care. That's what doctors um, kind of get into primary care for, is to be able to continue to see patients over time, have continuity, and be able to take care of them. And when you have that type of approach, that can impact not only a patient's um, morbidity, morbidity, it can impact mortality, and it can impact spend. Because uh, what happens uh, in a big part of our day as primary care physicians and healthcare teams is we're really helping patients care navigate. Care navigate, uh, understanding obviously and or diagnosing their disease states and best ways to help take care of those things, as well as understanding the plan design because every patient that walks through the door may have a different plan. Maybe some have a high deductible that they've paired with the direct primary care offering. Maybe some have a health share with companies like Sidera or Zion. Maybe some have a PPO plan through their employer and they have the direct primary care baked into that. So we uh, really uh, want to help patients on that front. And I can get into some further examples, uh, drilling down deep in, uh, uh, on things like, gosh, are we using the PBM for the medication? Are we gonna use GoodRx? Are we gonna use a company like DIRx Health and have the medicine sent directly to the patient's home? So part of that is you know, trying to really be a good steward of the patient's pocketbook, understanding that there are oftentimes levels of complexity within the plan. Uh, the reason that we're able to do that in direct primary care is pretty simple, we have the time. We have the time because we don't have a patient panel of uh, two to 3,000 patients and we're not spending a third to our half of our day pecking for payment on our computers. Um, if we're similar to what a fee-for-service primary care physician would be doing. Uh, we're seeing maybe 10 patients a day, give or take, and maybe a third of those patients are virtual visits. So in an eight to 10 hour day, uh, we're not trying to cram in 25 to 35 uh, interactions with patients. Uh, as is typical in a fee-for-service model, we're seeing maybe 10 patients, right, and handling a fair amount of that virtually. Being able to spend 30 to 60 minutes with a patient versus five or 10 minutes. So when it comes to you know, patient-centered care, uh, the, the, these are some critical pieces to that. Access, time needs to be convenient, uh, and it needs to work not only for the patient, but it needs to work for the physician. And part of that specific piece of needing to work to, for, for the physician is it needs to be a model that is hopefully profitable, right? I mean, sometimes people say, oh, don't talk about business and medicine. And I think we should flip that on its head and talk about that because there are a lot of physicians that want to own their own practices. They want to work in a small town in Nebraska and own their clinic and take care of the community. They don't want to work for large healthcare systems. Uh, oftentimes doing that can get in the way of care. Uh, so in order to do that, um, it's important if you want to have a successful business to be able to have a business model that supports that. And one of the beauties of direct primary care is it's fixed monthly revenue. There's not the variability that you see in a traditional fee-for-service insurance-based practice. Uh, so, you know, uh, as important as it is to focus on patient-centered care, uh, the second piece of that is to say, hey, is this a model of patient-centered care that the physician, clinician, healthcare teams actually likes to work in? You know, or they're happy to, to wake up every morning and, and, and be in a model that uh, they, they feel good about. And you'll hear time and time again, the existing fee-for-service insurance-based primary care model is creating moral injury uh, in, in providers, uh, clinicians, healthcare teams, patients aren't happy with that. So uh, I guess the last piece that I'll, that I'll say here and, and then uh, pause and open it up is, you know, are, are you as an individual uh, or employer, are you happy with your health care? And then are you happy with your spend? And if you're answering no to one or both of those questions, then it's important to say, well, what can I do to 
change that. And one step is to say, gosh, I'm going to find a direct primary care physician or clinician in my community, and I'm going to start there. Because if you start there, that's a great entry point into next steps. And understanding that that physician or clinician can take care of probably 90% of your healthcare needs, and the cost of that is probably on average less than $80 uh, per month, uh, boy, that's, that's a super good investment. Uh, especially when you see, you know, uh, these other, let's say, investments that individuals or employers are making where they're spending $2,000 per month for a United PPO plan where you actually have to, you know, uh, stand in line, wait, and not have access to a primary care physician. So, so you know, are you happy with your health care spend and are you happy with your um, care? Uh, and unfortunately, um, in our experience, we see just way too many individuals, families, and employers that aren't. So, if that's the circumstance for you, what are you gonna do to change that? So uh, I'll pause there. Uh, I definitely want this to be interactive uh, and, and, um, and, and sure hope that there are questions and comments that can help guide us because I think we have about an hour. Yes, well, you, you gave so much and um, I will say that the format we will use is we will get questions towards the end. Jennifer, Jennifer I have you on my list. Laura, I will put you on my list. So just raise the hand towards the end. Um, I want to see some reactions in the audience. Uh, thanks uh, to Dr. Clint Flanagan here. If this has taught you something new, give us a heart. Give us a thumbs up. Yes, I'm seeing those icons. Find that button. It's a react button. There we go. That gives me color in the room. Um, I'm going to let our panelists know the sequence of how I will call them so they can be prepared. Michelle, you will be next. Then Dr. Roger then Kelly, and then Dr. Trish. Um, before I go to Michelle, I will say, let's get some more people in the room. Let's see how far we can push it. Use the three dots in the top right corner and share this room with your network. Let's not be greedy. Let's share this. This can be live transforming information, folks, and let's make sure as many as people can hear this. Uh, so as mentioned, next up, Michelle Di Stefano. You have been an executive nurse for many years. You transitioned out of that and you now help people um, with career pivots. And one thing that I always like hearing from you is your different perspective. You don't have the physician's perspective. You have the perspective of a nurse leader. And I'm always very interested in what you have to say today on the topic about patient-centered health. Thank you, Shankar, for that introduction. And thank you, Dr. Flanagan, for um, discussing direct primary um, care model and what that um, does assist better when, if you're really looking at wanting to um, really believe you're being cared for in, in the um, outpatient setting prior to getting into, right, um, an inpatient setting. And so I've had experience in outpatient and inpatient, but predominantly in the acute care setting. And one of the things that um, we've been really trying to tackle for decades um, is the whole integration of once that patient does have to go into an acute care setting and what is the seamlessness of that care um, from the primary care physician to knowing the patient. And what I'm hearing from the direct primary care model is that due to many, many more touch points where there's communication, whether it's a virtual um, visit or whether it's actually face-to-face um, -face and the types of communication, that that ease of transition into acute care should set the stage for those hospital settings, right? And the physicians and also the nursing team and ancillary team, all the healthcare providers to really understand the patient in a better light. And um, this has been, I'll focus a little bit on the acute care with what patient-centered care has been. We, we've been working on this for decades, and I just think we're still um, at the tipping the iceberg stage um, where it's when you think about in a hospital setting, there's probably over 42 individuals that interact with the patient on any given day. That could be anywhere from radiologists to um, different types of nurses, techs, different types of physicians, specialists. 
And um, this gets into that point of really keeping with patient-centered care, the patient at the focal point. And what we're really trying to accomplish, I think we all have the same mission, whether it is in a direct primary care or in, in the hospital setting, that the patient is at that center and has that information and knows about their care plan and is involved in their care plan, okay? And um, one of the things that we've been implementing and executing in the um, acute care side is number one, how do we integrate that information like I was talking about from the outpatient practices, whether it's through uh, you know a medical record or it's actually the relationships that um, our community physicians are bringing into our um, specialists and hospitalists into the hospital setting. But then more specifically on the nursing side, um, there's been measures put in place that particularly um, giving bedside report um, in front of the patient and family, if that is their request. Um, this is to keep everyone on the same page. And this is one of those touch points in the acute care setting. Um, and really it's not just about doing this to everyone, but it's customizing it and individualizing it. Um, there might be some patients that do not want to be woken up at the 7 a.m. change of shift. They probably will be woken up, but as far as the lights on and having a or report given in front of everyone with a with a team of um, healthcare providers. And if that's the request not to have it, then what is the best time? Is it the three three o'clock change of shift? Is it the 7 p.m. change of shift? Is it when family members come here? And so we've made a lot of advancements in that. And another big, um, big one is really keeping that patient formed with a very exclusive whiteboard in patients' rooms, one that's actually filled in, because I have been a patient recently where um, the whiteboard was blank. But this really gets into what is the plan for the day? Um, what, what is, who is the primary um, physician on for that patient? Who is the primary nurse on for that patient? And then also even down to their pain scale and when was the last time that they got their pain medication and when are they able to um, put their call bell on for that pain medication to be given to them again. And we're all talking about access and this really is about accessing the patient where they know when they're gonna receive the care in the hospital. Now, sometimes these things don't always occur as planned, <laughs> but it gives them more of that in control of what's happening to them with what that plan is and what everyone around them believes that plan is as they have talked to them about the patients and that they have been able to communicate. Challenges, once again, are the consistency of patient care assignments. Obviously, there's a nursing shortage, a tech shortage, there's a healthcare provider shortage. But the more that we can rely on those touch points and really communicate what's happening with a patient, it has proven to decrease anxiety, increase patient engagement, and also really affect patient outcomes. Thank you for that. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Um, so for our beautiful audience, don't forget to follow our speakers on stage because we do have this event going for about for an hour and I want to respect timing but that doesn't mean that you cannot continue the conversation later with our speakers that is the the beauty and power of LinkedIn and uh, that is something that uh, we at Shanks understand very well so don't forget to follow your speakers next up I believe um, don't forget to mute yourselves if you are done but I will uh, ask an, a medical doctor again, Dr. Roger Mochigemba, with whom I have had the pleasure to work here in, in San Antonio to also be the, the co-leader of the San Antonio uh, Free Market Medical Association to help him with all the, uh, the outreach of his clinic. And I know, Dr. Roger, you probably have plenty of of things to add to what um, Dr. Flanagan and Michelle have mentioned here. Dr. Roger? Hey there, thank you, Shankar, and uh, thanks everybody for joining us on this on this uh, venue to talk about something so, so important, patient-centered health. Um, uh, Michelle, what a great mission you're on to uh, to improve the the access and the the experience of folks in the hospital, and 
and my my uh, friend Clint, Dr. Flanagan, thanks for joining us on this and and helping to raise the awareness of what we do in direct primary care. It, um, you know, all of us in, in here we we feel this so much. And when you were talking, um, Dr. Flanagan, I, I I was just like, yes, 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 and um, um, wanted to respond to so many of the things that you you were talking about. Um, I always say that the value, there, there's this, it's almost like a buzzword these days in, in uh, medicine, value-based care, but I've been saying that the value really starts in the room between the doctor and the patient. That's where it starts. And uh, I just feel so strongly about that. And then there, uh, like you talked about the high deductible health plans, oh, I, I uh, you know, when they first came out, I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. But the more um, experience I got with those, with patients that had those, the more I I began to realize that it's actually limiting access to care. And that's not, that's not so much not in the best interest of patients. We need to do whatever we can to remove the barriers to health care, especially primary care. Um, like, like Dr. Flanagan said, we can do uh, 90% of what anybody needs in primary care. And so why limit the access to that? Uh, so much people these days feel like, um, uh, I'm only going to go to the doctor if it gets really bad. Um, I'm on the other side of that. I'm saying, no, just let us know whatever it is. And if it's minor, well, we'll just take care of it in five minutes or we'll, we'll text you through it and we're done. But if it's not, you know, you have access to us to keep it from becoming something serious. Um, and God forbid, you know, have access to us to screen for anything really major, um, you know. So we are we're doing that kind of stuff and it's it's amazing and and patients love it i mean we're we find things early um we we prevent things from getting out of hand and we love interacting with our patients and they love the access that they have to us it's such a a wonderful way to practice medicine i feel so strongly about this that I, I had the opportunity um, a few months ago in August to testify in the state capitol of that, uh, you know, about this model. And I told them that we really don't need insurance for primary care. Um, I told them that. And I said, we don't because health care is affordable, because it's affordable to our patients. I proved it. And all of these patients that we have, um, got primary care and it was affordable. So um, there's so much to say. I could I could keep going on and on. Um, but I know we're I would love to hear some feedback and talk to specific questions. Um, uh, uh, you know, like myself and Dr. Flanagan who are working in direct primary care, we we've got tons of great stories we would we could share, we could talk all afternoon about uh, wonderful patient outcomes because of, of um, no barriers to care, access to a primary care doctor. But um, thank you all for joining us on this, um, this, um, um, this, this LinkedIn live. This, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. You got to mute. There we go. Okay, so thank you, Dr. Roger. And yes, we will have time for questions at the end. Um, looks like we have two more speakers here on the panel before we can take questions. And I am very, very excited. We have currently uh, three, uh, 30 people listening, uh, two people that have raised their hands asking to speak and six people up on the stage. That is really, really nice. Uh, give yourselves a round of applause and also let's see some reactions for Dr. Roger. And uh, again, I like to see that color in the audience, just making sure nobody's falling asleep. That's not what we want. 
<laughs> All right. I love you guys. You make this what it is. To me, as a non-clinician, what I can do and what I love to contribute is creating a platform for these conversations to happen because when we are informed and when we increase our reach, we can make change happen in that way. Uh, it is now time to move on, uh, change gears a little bit, go to a healthcare insurance broker, uh, Kelly Pickett. Um, you are very important in this discussion because very often you are the entry point uh, for patients uh, when they are not yet uh, in a situation where they need help to make those decisions that will largely prepare the future that is going to look good for them or not. And I'm very interested in um, how you educate and guide your clients in choosing healthcare plans that prioritize uh, patient-centered care. Kelly? Thank you, Shankar. I am glad to be here. And thank you, Dr. Flanagan, for um, everything that you said. And I want to agree with you about employers and if they're questioning their healthcare spend and if they're questioning the healthcare of their employees, then that is, that is a good question to have because as an agency owner and um, also a builder of health solutions, we direct, I feel like every appointment I have is an educational opportunity. So we direct our clients to what is best for them. So we start out and we listen because typically everybody understands and knows what traditional is. They know what Affordable Care Act Obamacare is. They know what their group employer benefit of Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, Cigna. Um, a lot of times they don't understand what alternative looks like. So we make sure to give them a broad picture. And we also educate about the importance of access to health care. Um, a lot of times what they don't understand is that when it is affordable, it doesn't have to be traditional. And what they can do with that is they can, and we direct toward direct primary care, they can build a relationship with a healthcare professional that's going to give them access. It's going to let them, like Dr. Rogers said, call when it's not life-threatening when they don't think that they're on the brink of something horrible that's going to lay them up for several days until they get well. So we make sure that they understand that that is always a possibility. And in most times, it's a more affordable option. They're still getting everything that they think that they would have access to on a traditional plan for less money and with better access and with better ability to actually treat and have a healthier outcome. Um, there are so many times where we hear people that are afraid, they call in and are like, oh no, no, I can't go. I'm afraid to go in because they're afraid to of what they're going to pay initially. And that's maybe not the biggest fear, but it's the fear of what happens if somebody finds something then I'm going to be on the hook for those huge deductibles, those $9,000, you know, $5,000 deductibles, $9,000 max out of pocket. So we make sure that they understand that there's better options. There are better options through self-funded. There's better options through level funded. There's better options with just going to a DPC and getting on, a, on their membership platform. Um, so we are always education focused. We are always making sure that we're putting the information out there because a lot of times people aren't ready to make the transition, but we've at least put the information out there and it's like a bug in the ear, right? So they're listening to it and they may not think about it today and they may not think about it in six months, but maybe next year, they're like, you know, I heard about this. Let me think, let me follow back up and see because what she said is now resonating because I've now been stuck with all of this medical debt. 
So that is kind of our, that is our approach when we handle and interact with our clients. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's so good to know that there are brokers who, who really care. And I know from personal experience that you'll make decisions that are really in favor of your clients and not just uh, your own benefit. And that is what we need in order to drive the change we want to see. Um, so next, I will go to uh, Dr. Trish on stage. But before uh, you open your mic, Dr. Trish, let's just ask everyone to give Kelly a round of applause here. Let's show some uh, reactions and just really... Uh, thank our speakers to be on stage because I can tell you it is not the easiest to be uh, in front of you all here speaking live and I do want to uh, show gratitude and encourage. Um, also, don't forget there's still time to share this room with your network. Uh, use the three dots uh, in the top right corner and share with your network so that more people can join us. We have at least 22 minutes left here for this beautiful conversation and yes this is recorded if you want the recording send me the message recording and also if you want to be notified in the future about these rooms make sure to follow me and click the bell icon so that you get all the notifications dr trish i know um, you've been for many years a pharmacist and Uh, I have asked you to talk to us a little bit about um, how do pharmacists play a role in advancing patient-centered care in the healthcare system. Can they do that? Uh, and if so, what challenges have you encountered in that regard? Dr. Trish? Hi, so glad to be here. Shankar and oh my goodness, um, Dr. Flanagan, I think this is a, a very innovative model um, I'm interested in knowing more. Um, so as a, as a pharmacist in a large retail setting for over 20 years, um, I got burned out. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but you know, we were under a lot of time constraints, um, being in that setting, um, we were a very high volume store. So that direct patient care was really, really lacking. Um, And today, I actually help pharmacists and other healthcare professionals wanting to start a business, manage their stress, and recover from burnout, and find clarity. Um, I do believe that there are some independent pharmacies, especially speaking of them, um, getting involved in this sort of model, um, collaborating with physicians too. And, you know, pharmacists as a profession, we're accessible. We've always been accessible. Um, you just walk into a pharmacy and you ask a question um, and, you know, we're knowledgeable. Many of us are board certified in disease state management, such as diabetes. Um, and today, most large retail pharmacies, um, you know, like I said, we're understaffed, we're overworked, but the independents, they're struggling and more pharmacists are leaving the big chains and they're becoming independent consultants and forming their own, you know, collaborative agreements with physicians. And um, these independent pharmacies and pharmacist consultants can um, have proved to be an integral part. And I believe they could be an integral part of the direct primary care team as well. Um, there's so much we can do now legally <laughs> as pharmacists. I mean, it really just depends on the state that you live in. Um, these include like point of care testing services like blood glucose screening, cholesterol screenings, even screening for, you know, certain you know, the flu and um, strep throat. Um, we do complete medication reviews. We can help with that. We can help manage chronic diseases. We can, um, you know, and there are other wellness services, obviously, like immunizations that we've um, taken over the last few years, too, um, to help improve health outcomes and collaborating with these other healthcare providers with treatment plans, ensuring that the patients receive the most effective care possible. So, um You know, I believe that we can we can really um, play a big part in educating the patients. Um, also, even educating them about the benefits of this direct primary care. So um, helping them understand how they can access these services. 
And I think that by building these relationships um, with patients and um, we can, you know, we can build trust and increase their engagement in their own health and wellness. So overall, I think that becoming involved in this direct primary care can be an opportunity for pharmacists to expand their role in healthcare and provide more comprehensive and coordinated care to their patients as well. So I think we can help. I think we can really become involved in this as well. Of course you can. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Of course you can, Dr. Trish. All right, we have we have gotten to the point. Um, unless you were not done, Dr. Trish, I don't want to cut you off. No. Okay. I'm done. All right. So finally, we get to uh, have taken questions from our audience. And Laura, I'm going to bring you up. You've been waiting very patiently. Um, so make sure you, when you are on stage to unmute yourself if you want to direct your question to one specific person, name that person. If it is for everyone, uh, just keep it open and then um, we will be able to have a good experience here. So I'm bringing you on stage right now, Laura, and we are ready for your question. Let's see, let's try that again. Maybe you have been raising your hand for so long that you need to reset and um, do it again. All right, let's try one more time. And if that doesn't work, we'll use Dr. We'll get, we'll go with Dr. Kelly. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to ask Dr. Kelly to come on stage. There we go. Dr. Kelly Hello, Schwab. and thank you so Hello. much for having me. Yes. Hi. Yeah, this is this is the first time I've raised my hand in an audio event. So um, thank you for doing this topic. I have a friend, an MD in the town I live in, and she has a direct care model. And I learned about it from her. And I think it's absolutely genius, especially for the level of care she's able to provide for her patients. She... She's available for them all the time. And you would think as a provider that could be overwhelming, but people are very judicious about her time as well. So they um, respect that, but um, have a great relationship with her. So I think it's an incredible move for providers to go that way. So in addition to that, though, I am a pharmacist and I, um, <clears throat> I'm an educator, however, um, I used to work retail pharmacy for practically 20 years, and I left it recently because of absolute burnout and dissatisfaction with the level of care I was able to provide based on what I felt the client needed or the patient needed from me. So um, I am... So I've developed my own business as a perimenopause and menopause educator because I've spent so much time working alongside a ton of other providers with their hormone um, prescribing and education of their patients. So I've seen a lot of things and I know a lot of ways um, things are handled. So I just wanted to add what Dr. Trish was saying that there's a lot of pharmacists out there who have um, significant training in areas like mine, like perimenopause and menopause or medication therapy management or pharmacogenomics that could certainly be added to a direct care model that could really enhance a business. Okay, thank you. Well, um, is there anyone on stage who wants to react to that? Or Dr. Trish, do you want to react to it? Oh my gosh, so I'm Dr. Happy Dr. To Kelly. Get comments. <laughs> All right, let's let's have Dr. Flanagan go first. He's our guest speaker today. I, I think I heard Dr. Trish there, and I'm happy to go ladies first here. All and right. Step in thereafter, if that's okay. Absolutely. Oh, thank you, Dr. Flanagan. So Kelly and I, um, we're we're colleagues and friends, and I, I don't really have any more to add other than the uh, pharmacogenomics testing is you know, it's been around for a while. It's been around for a few years, but, you know, a lot of people still, you know, haven't really caught on to it and it can really, it's really important, 
you know, it's really important to know, you know, what, you know, how your, you know, your genes do play a role in, um, you know, the, the medications that you could be prescribed, especially when it comes to blood thinners and um, chemo, um, cancer drugs and things like that, opioids, statins. Um, so that is just, I just wanted to emphasize maybe more of the PGX testing is all. And how pharmacists can really provide um, that type of consultation as well. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, have no uh, deep knowledge about this topic, but hey, how handy it is that I have uh, a medical doctor who wants to speak next, <laughs> Dr. Flanagan. Hey, appreciate that. And I couldn't agree more uh, with what's being said here on the pharmacy front and and, um, and what Dr. Kelly's saying about, uh, let's say, healthy aging and vitality. Uh, so, uh, a few comments. So one is just on the pharmacy side. So every time a doctor writes an order for medication, or let's say for a procedure like a carpal tunnel uh, procedure to, to, to have a consultation with an orthopedist to have that done, or let's say it's an order for an MRI or an order for uh, behavioral health, right? Like, like we, we have, a, there, there are choices out there uh, and typically uh, what you'll find as a common thread in direct primary care is the physicians, clinicians in direct primary care settings are very well connected to their local network. And as we all kind of know, it's better just to buy local and, uh, you know, do things with your local resources, uh, whether that's buying your strawberries from the farmer down the way, or whether that's getting, uh, you know, your uh, fish or your meat, or whether that's your medication. So we heard, I think I heard the term big box. Uh, one thing I, that, that you'll hardly see our physicians do is, you know, continue to write scripts to Walgreens and Target, which is owned by CVS uh, essentially, and or, or the grocery stores. We use them a bit, but we, we really like to support, for example, in Boulder County, we support our our local pharmacists, Good Day Pharmacy, uh, Flat Irons Pharmacy is owned by a woman pharmacist, and she has one location in Longmont. Uh, Prospect Apothecary has been owned by that pharmacist for a couple of 20 years, I think. And, and these pharmacists can do the typical things, uh, let's say lisinopril or cholesterol medications, but they also have expertise in other lanes. Some of them have been um, uh, mentioned, for example, uh, hormone replacement therapies. So you'll find that uh, in direct primary care, uh, there are physicians that have expertise in helping men and women as uh, they're aging. Uh, and uh, again, this gets back to that the, the topic today, and that's patient-centered care. And existing patient relationships with their primary care physician, um, I'd, I'd say that, that that relationship's a bit of a low bar, like maybe it's one or two visits a year. And if we like to use the example of a gym membership, which, you know, if you're paying for direct primary care, you or your employer, you're paying a monthly fee and you have unlimited visits and it's not just sick care. We really want you to come in, you know, have that first visit. And that's really just step one. We're getting to know you, understanding your past medical history, understanding your family history and seeing what can we do as a 32 year old or 55 year old to help chart a course for the next 12 months, et cetera, to help you with your overall health and wellness. What can we do to be your health coach? And that is not just about writing prescriptions for Lipitor and high blood pressure meds. That is focusing on lifestyle. So that is saying, gosh, how's your sleep? How's your nutrition? How's your exercise? You know, how's your emotional health? Uh, you know, by the way, you know, we should do some labs and, and get into a bit of the details on the medical side as well. But having the time to do that, spending 60 minutes with a patient and just starting down that pathway. And truthfully, most of us physicians, clinicians, just that, that's a huge part of what we love doing day to day is, is being more proactive and preventative. Like if you look at the mission statement of Next Era Healthcare, we don't say we want to take care of you when you're sick. We say, gosh, we want to actually make sure you have a good experience. And we want to help get you to optimal health. Uh, the county that we started in is Boulder County, one of the healthiest counties in the country where, you know, we have triathletes and professional athletes and people that are cyclists and, you know, very healthy people. But then, of course, we have sick people as well. But everybody uh, has needs. And maybe that some of those needs might be, gosh, I'm, uh, my split times aren't quite where they need to be. I'm training, you know, can you take a look at my training and 
let me know how it's impacting the stress systems in my body, right? Or maybe on the flip of that, it's gosh, I'm, you know, I'm morbidly obese, I have depression, and I'm drinking too much alcohol. Uh, so having that first visit is critical. And, and as a, a retired ER doctor, you know, in the emergency room, we were pulling people out of the fire. Uh, here in the primary care setting, we want to, you know, be on a patient's healthcare journey, right? Like installing smoke alarms and kind of keeping people away from hospitals if possible. Uh, and as much as we like our surgeon friends, you know, really being sensitive to that detail of, uh, gosh, do you really need a back surgery? Are there other things we could do to help you out? Uh, pharmacogenetics was, uh, or genomics was brought up uh, without a doubt. That's important. And if you have the abilities and uh, resource to do so, you know, sometimes a person's just placed on Zoloft or they're placed on Prozac, uh, and maybe there might be another medication to help them on that front. So we can test for that now. 20 years ago in my career, we weren't doing those kinds of things. And so uh, as you think about that patient-centered approach, uh, gosh, who better to, to help you arguably on that pathway? than your primary care physician, the internist, the pediatrician, the family medicine physician, right? And, and be there, uh, not for you know one or two touches a year, but numerous touches per year. And we like to say, you know, if, if you're paying that monthly fee, again, think of it like a gym membership. We actually want you using it. We want you to come in. We want to really get to know you. Uh, and, and that's part of the beauty of what we do in primary care is, you know, we, we, we have these relationships and, and over time, uh, many of us physicians and clinicians have figured out that that fee for service insurance model gets in the way of that. And, and just to keep things simple, like we, we don't use our auto insurance to wash our car, right? Like we don't change our oil with our state farm auto insurance plan. We, we don't, uh, you know, uh, uh, fall back on our homeowner's policy to paint our house or uh, uh, redo the bathroom. Like insurance is for catastrophe. Insurance is for high dollar expenses. It's important to have, but utilizing that vehicle for low cost primary care is, it really doesn't make sense. And if, and if you're still trying to do that to, in today's world in 2023, uh, just know there are solutions. And one simple thing is you go to DPC Frontier, dpcfrontier.com, and you can see the different locations across the United States where you'll find DPC doctors and clinicians. Uh, and at least start there, whether that's you, know, you as an individual or whether you're an HR director for an employer group uh, or whether you're the CFO or CEO and you're you know, the person writing the checks or the owner of the business. In our company, 87% of our members come from employers. Some of these companies are small, maybe five or 10 employees. Some of the companies are Fortune 500 companies. And we have an expertise in a lane and being able to, you know, be agile enough to take care of a company, whether they are, you know, 100 employees or 10,000 employees. And, and what we're hell-bent on, whether it's, again, a, a, a small company or a large company, is, is making sure that those employees and family members have really good access. Uh, and then having a support team around that and having pharmacists that we can, you know, call and say, hey, listen, what, what do you think about A, B, and C? And gosh, can we use, you know, uh, get some uh, generic meds through you, for example, versus going to a CVS or going to a, um, uh, a Walgreens? So there's lots of navigation that happens, uh, and, and we have the time to help our patients do that. And the major focus here for us is just optimal health and wellness. How do we do that? Uh, and, and truthfully, it just makes being a physician fun again. The pharmacists talk about kind of moral injury and burnout. You know, we're, we're not um, we're, we're practicing treadmill health care is not really health care. It's not patient-centered. It's not value-based. And, and I guess if I were just to say one more thing on the patient-centered and value-based is that if anyone out there is saying, hey, yeah, this is patient-centered and value-based, and they're doing it on a fee-for-service insurance-based primary care chassis, it's just blatantly not, it's not true. It, they're misleading you. And so know that those are, those are the, there are those of us out there that really understand and know a bit about patient-centered care and value-based healthcare. And, and unfortunately, there are many in the market trying to protect the status quo and it's deceiving to patients and unfortunately, it's very expensive and truthfully, it's overall harmful, harmful to their health. Uh, so. So uh, appreciate the comments and, and uh, yeah, happy to pause and, and see if there are further questions or comments. Yes, we have actually another person on stage here, Guillermo uh, Coda Fries from Mexico City. Welcome to the stage. What is your question, Guillermo? Hi, uh, well, first, um, nice meeting you all. I kind of jumped in because we have many businesses in healthcare. Um, 
particularly we have one in Mexico um, uh, called Mac Hospitales, which is now becoming one of the biggest uh, chains. In Mexico is going to cover different segments, AAA, uh, mid-segment uh, is sorely needed because uh, um, normally higher segments are overpriced. And I guess, you know, long story short, my question would be, as a consultant, how could you roll out some of these strategies to change the healthcare pro approach of the traditional hospitals in Mexico? wants to give it out a try? I have a comment. Dr. Roger. I can, um, I, I can't say specifically, but what I would recommend is that you have to find a way for it to start from the ground up. Yes, absolutely. It would be, I have to be operational. We have um, just different specialties mapped out, mid, mid, you know, the, the, the ticket size and, you know, all the, the granular analysis this goes with uh, analyzing one of these transactions um, and I guess um, getting some of your expertise um, uh, offsite or onsite to try to assess uh, you know the different specialties how they're being costed if they're being effective or not and if there are better ways of offering these services I think would be of great value so more than a question is also to um, show my appreciation for the people in this group, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a multidisciplinary guy, so I'm always trying to learn more. Uh, and all this information is valuable. Thank you. So, um, just yeah, just one I, other I comment on that um, is that um, the way the incentives are aligned will be extremely important, and as as we've already been talking about, um, part of that alignment. Um, needs to provide provide access um, to primary care. Yes, correct. I mean, in my in my I'm a business guy, so in my world, uh, best businesses uh, work when all the stakeholders are aligned, from shareholders to uh, the hospital managers to the owners. Um, if someone's not aligned in that process, uh, someone's going to trip the process. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would. Um, uh, yes. Sorry, Dr. Guillermo. Uh, I, I would agree with what you're saying, and this is again Dr. Flanagan, and, and definitely agree with Dr. Rogers saying. And in short, whether you're in Mexico or United States or Africa, you, you have to invest in primary care, understand your local resources, and and in our case, we the business model that has been proven is that investment in primary care is a monthly payment like a gym membership to pay for unlimited primary care utilizing local resources so whether the individual pays for that the family the employer or the government those are things to think about as you develop hey how can we best utilize primary care resources here in the counties cities uh countries that we serve uh and and we've been doing it wrong in the United States of America for far too long. Other countries like Denmark, where you have a flip in specialty versus primary care specialty. We need more primary care specialists versus more subspecialists. We don't need more necessarily dermatologists uh, and, and cardiothoracic surgeons. We need more primary care clinicians. And so when you incentivize things in the proper format, uh, like Dr. Rogers talking about, you'll start to see that. Uh, and, and the model that we do where it's, and I'm not saying that we're the best model or only model, but I'm just saying we're a model that works where uh, employers are investing in primary care by paying directly to the primary care physician teams on a monthly retainer for unlimited care. Boy, all kinds of cool things can happen. Uh, versus uh, insurance or coverage, that's not so much a, an investment, that's a payment. There's a, there's a definite difference. And, and in, from the employer perspective, the most valuable assets your employees Right. So, what are you doing to help that asset? All right. Oh, that's, that's that was very very helpful. Um, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign out. Uh, I, I really appreciate your your information and, and your answers. Thank you all. Uh, I have learned it is important to end these events on time, just because some people 
will not uh, tell me. I have something else I need to attend to. Uh, Laura, I've been trying to bring you on stage. Uh, there is a tech glitch. I Trust me, I want to bring you on, but uh, somehow it doesn't work. Uh, so my apologies. Um, we do this every week, so come back next week. Also, don't forget to connect with each other. I'm going to let the music play a little bit so you can follow each other, send each other messages. If you also want a little bit help with your public relations efforts, uh, Andrea and I, we run a healthcare PR agency out of San Antonio. We focus on these novel ways like for example linkedin you can see we have a wide range here very powerful stuff uh, thank you for the speakers michelle dr flanagan dr trish kelly dr roger dr kelly sharp and guillermo thank you all in the audience i'm gonna ask us all to push the heart button i love to see that red color in the audience uh, you make this what it is and you make this a great event uh, again if you want a recording because it's important and vital information to share with community leaders business owners uh, any stakeholders send me the message recording and then we can spread this message like wildfire thank you so much and see you very soon again on here, here on this platform you want